0: The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom, both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. All right, we're continuing our story in the Gospel of Mark. We're looking at Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And this particular story is Jesus' calming of the storm, which is probably a very familiar text. Many of us have probably heard this uh, story since we were children. And I wonder if you've seen Rembrandt's uh, portrait of this. Maybe we'll pull that up there on the screen there. And uh, you have to later go home on your laptop or on your, even on your phone, and you can enlarge it. But there's actually, I'm kind of like an elementary student explaining to you, Rembrandt, because um, in my fine arts class, I used to read my Bible and not pay attention, because I didn't think it was of any redeeming value. And that was my worldview view of, of the arts, which is pathetic and terrible. And I've since discovered that I love Rembrandt. His stuff is amazing. And there's 14 people on that boat. And Jesus is the only one that's calm in the storm. Everybody else is panicking. And one guy is actually vomiting over the side of the boat. And there's one person that's actually looking at you in the picture, and it's him. And Rembrandt has done a self-portrait of himself, and he put himself in the boat, as if to say he could identify that Jesus is with us in the midst of our storms of life. But I would just encourage you, if you've never—his portraits are, are amazing, his prodigal son returning and Peter's denial are a couple of awesome ones, but that's a good one, but More modern times. Let's look at this next picture here to give you a a feel of what the boat actually would have looked like. We actually, in 1986, a boat was recovered on the Sea of Galilee. The waters had receded pretty drastically from a drought, and this boat all of a sudden showed up. And they did carbon dating on it, and and the time frame was between 40 BC and 40 AD. So this would have been very much like a boat. Jesus would have been on this boat here is about 27 feet long okay about seven and a half feet wide and only about four four and a half feet deep so when we're reading the storm just leave that up actually we'll go to the text but you have the imagery in your mind that this boat is not a canoe but it's certainly no big boat this is a pretty small boat and on the Sea of Galilee which is 13 miles north to south eight miles east to west. It's a big lake, and it's almost 700 feet below sea level. You have these mountains around. You have this cold air that comes down and meets this warmer air at the bottom by this uh, uh, Sea of Galilee, and you can get these violent storms. And this is what happens in Mark 4, beginning at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, we're so familiar with this text that we forget that pretty much everything about this text is unusual, it's just odd. If I were to sit you alone and say, write down on a piece of paper, everything that is seemingly off in this story, that doesn't make sense. I mean, the first kind of striking thing is like, how can Jesus be asleep during this storm? I mean, the, the water is breaking over the boat so that it's already filling, and Jesus is asleep. Jesus is going to speak directly to wind and waves. It's almost like he's repeating what Sharon read from Psalm 46, be still and, how's the rest of the verse go? And know that I'm God. Well, he says to the wind and the waves, be still and know that I'm God. And instantly, they're calm. And any of you guys that have been boating before, out on a boat, you know that the wind might be calm, but the waves can be still wild. And after a storm, it's going to take 24, maybe 48 hours, sometimes a couple days after a big storm for the, for the waves to stop. But this was a double miracle. He says, to the wind and to the waves, be still. And they both immediately stop. So this isn't just one. Well, he stops the wind, but the waves are still. But then the most amazing thing to me is that you would think that if Jesus does this great miracle and you're, you're, you're about to drown and you're, you're about to die, you would be really thankful. You would think that the response would be, thank you. Is that what happens? No. Because this is way beyond gratitude. That's why the sermon title is beyond gratitude. There's no gratitude here. It's just A-W-E, all caps, big, bold, awesome, astonished, utter amazement. When you follow the megas of this text, is the Greek word for great, we go from a great windstorm, verse 37, and then we get a great calm. But then what's the last mega? What's the last great? They feared a great fear. Now they're scared much worse than they ever were when it got calm because they're just astonished. The great windstorm led to a great calm, which led to a hurricane in their hearts. In the hurricane, they're more astonished, more fearful than the storm ever created fear. Because God's in their boat. This is Yahweh Himself, come to deliver His people. And so it's beyond gratitude. It's just utter astonishment and worship. Now, Mark has given us all kinds of details at the other text. You know, this is in Matthew and Luke. If If you only had Matthew and Luke's account of this, you wouldn't know what time of day it was, that it was evening. You wouldn't know that Jesus was totally spent. They took him as he was, meaning most likely he was exhausted. He was spent. You wouldn't know there were other boats with him. Only Mark tells us that. There were other boats there. You wouldn't know that G- where Jesus was in the boat. Only Mark tells us that. Where was he? In the stern. Where's the stern? The back of the boat. And there's only one of those, one cushion on the whole boat, because he was on the cushion. And he's got the one cushion, and he's in the back of the boat, and he's asleep. And so you have four questions to go with the three megas. The the four questions are, it starts with Jesus, our teacher. Do you not care that we're perishing? Do you not care that we're perishing? Isn't it funny how sometimes circumstances will bring out, will say things that we normally just wouldn't say, right? But circumstances can do that to us, right? So, you know, here they are, circumstantially like they they think this is it and and they're looking at Jesus and they're thinking he obviously has a short between the headsets Jesus obviously has a problem he, he he's asleep during a storm I mean what he, he obviously doesn't know how to read the room because he's asleep and waves are breaking over the boat Jesus has a problem so they wake him up don't you care that we're perishing And Jesus looks at them after he rebukes the wind and the waves and he has two questions for them because he thinks they obviously have a short between the headsets. They obviously don't know how to read the room. They obviously don't get it. That I'm the Lord of the universe. And when I say, peace be still, shh, and instantly he can silence Just as he can rebuke the demons and drive out demons, he can say to the wind and the waves, be still. So Jesus has questions for them because he's saying, where's your faith? Do you not understand? And they're looking at him and ask the question, do you not care that we're perishing? Now think about that question. It's probably a question we ask at different times because when we're experiencing a trial, we think, has Jesus forgotten us? Why is it so hard? I want you to see in this text, it's just the opposite of Jonah. Why is Jonah asleep in the boat? Why is there a big storm in Jonah's day? Raging, tumultuous, and they wake wake him up. Just like they did with Jesus. And they told him, Call on your God. And what have you done when he tells him? You know, when he tells them, I fear the Lord, you know, the maker of heaven and earth. You know, yeah, yeah you really do. I can really see that. And, and they, they, he says, Throw me in, that the storm will pass. He knows I'm the problem. So they throw him in, and instantly the storm is calm. This is just the opposite. How is it just the opposite? They're being obedient. Jesus says, the text begins with what? Let's go to the other side. Where are they going? We're not going to get there until January, but where they're going is on a mission trip. They're they're being obedient. They're going to the other side. Do you think anybody had been to the other side, any of those four skilled disciples that knew how to, you know, James and John, Peter and Andrew? No, you don't go to the other side because that's the insane asylum, That's worse than Alcatraz. At least at Alcatraz, we've got prison, we've got guards, we've got locked cells, we've got keys. You know, we can go to Alcatraz and we've got some people to help us. But you go over there and nothing can contain that guy. No chains, nothing can stop that guy. And you want to go over there? They're going with Jesus. All right, let's go to the other side. They're with Jesus. They're being obedient on mission. The point is... Is sometimes the storm comes, which often confuses Christians because they're being obedient. And they're thinking, I'm doing what's right. Why is the storm so bad? And John Newton, who was on many a boat before he was saved, slave trader, he wrote this classic hymn Begone unbelief. Begone unbelief, my savior is near. And for my relief, he will surely appear. By prayer, let me wrestle, and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. The dark be my way, since he's my guide. It is mine to obey; tis his to provide. Those cisterns be broken, and all creatures and creatures all fail. The word he has spoken shall surely prevail. And it keeps going with wonderful verses. But there's a lot of great hymnody written about this. Very storm. The wind and waves still know the voice who ruled them here below. Be still, my soul. You see, Jesus is with them in the storm. He's taking them through this storm. And so Jesus can actually sleep during the storm. And so, what we're seeing about Jesus in this text is never has man been more man. They took him as he was. Never has man looked more like a man. He's asleep, he's taken a nap, he's tired, he's worn out. Jesus ate and he drank and he slept. He did all the things that we do except sin. So we see from this text that Jesus is clearly a man, but boy, we see that Jesus is so much more than a man. When these four seasoned fishermen who knew the Sea of Galilee wake him up, do you wake up your teacher when there's a problem that's like a hurricane? Like, what's your teacher going to do? Teacher can't do anything about that. I mean, what can weathermen really do? I mean, they they can give you some accuracy. Sometimes they get it right, and sometimes we like it. But weathermen, they, they can do certain things, but they can't change the weather. And they can't instantly change it because they're just men. But Jesus is so much more than a man that he can calm a storm instantly. And so this question of them asking him, don't you care that we're perishing, is actually if you just kind of zoom out on that for a minute and start to back out, you say, wait a minute, does Jesus care that we're perishing? Well, what's he doing in the boat? Because he cares about the guy on the other side of the lake, because he cares about some person of this demoniac. That everybody else has abandoned and said, written off, and they sent him over there. And Jesus cares that we're perishing because he's actually with these disciples. And the reason he's with these disciples is he's going to change the world through them. And why is he with the disciples? Well, you back, keep backing this up, and you say, well, what's he doing in, in Galilee? What's he doing in Jerusalem? What's he doing in Bethlehem? What's he doing in a cradle? What's he doing being born? What's he doing being conceived? Because he cares that we're perishing. The whole reason he's come to this world is because he loves his people and he cares for us. So we would ask the question, don't you care that we're perishing? There couldn't be a question further from the truth. It is utter, the opposite, the total opposite is true. He loves us and doesn't want us to perish And so he has come, and he's showing us that he's the Lord of heaven and earth and that he rules over his creation. And so they're starting to get it as the lights are starting to go on, and then he stills the the storm, and then he asks them a question, and he says, why are you so afraid? Literally, why are you such cowards? Why are you so cowardly? It's the coward word. Why are you such cowards? Have you still no faith? Now put yourself in these disciples' shoes. All of a sudden it's completely quiet and, and it's like glass. And you are just doing this and and heaving and up and down and it's just completely silent. I mean, have you ever had a fear get swallowed up by a greater fear? You know, you ever have one of those experiences, you know, like, you know, you're watching the video, and you see this, this huge shark, and you're like, man, that's a big shark they just brought up to the, to the boat, man, better cut the line, and all of a sudden, a, a Goliath grouper just swallows the, the shark, and you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, there's creatures in that water that make a shark look small, and this Goliath grouper, you can watch the video, I mean, a grouper just swallows the shark, like, and now we want to go jump in, and like, Let's snorkel around a little bit, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that could just swallow you whole. You know, reading the story of, of the, the hurricane that hit Galveston and the description of the storm coming in, and it was so horrific, they were not prepared, and the one guy, he grabs his two nephews as he feels the, the whole floor just giving way of the house, and the only way to get out was to dive through the window and he grabbed his kids and jumped out the window into the water because the house just becomes like this just starts hurling and nobody else got out of the house they all the rest died but he jumped out and you're just reading this it's so vivid and there's people that are trying to climb trees to get to any point of safety is to climb a tree i mean if i can get to the tree i'd be saved That's where the poisonous snakes have gone. So you get on the tree and people are dying because the poisonous snake kills them when they went up the tree. Your fear got swallowed by another fear. You're like, oh my goodness, I do not like snakes. And that would be a terrible, terrible way to go. Here, the fear is being swallowed by another fear. This is what Michael Scott Horton's whole book of Restoring Our Sanity is about, is this fear replaces all the other fears. It swallows up all the other fears. Once you have Jesus in the boat and you realize it's Yahweh is in the boat. And he not only has the power to still the storm, he's the one who caused the storm to happen in the first place. Listen to what, this. just think of like people who know the Old Testament, like certainly some of these disciples would have known these texts. They would know Psalm 65. That says, By awesome deeds you answer us with salvation, O God of our our answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in all of your signs. Or in Psalm eighty-nine, we're told. Where the psalmist says, you rule the raging of the seas, of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass, referring to Egypt. You scattered your enemies with your, with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the sea, you have created them. He's the creator. He makes the, the waves rise and stills them because he's the fairest Lord Jesus ruler of all nature, son of God, son of man. You see, Psalm 107, which is in your text as a reflection quote this morning, was that we began by quoting verse 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. And then you have this certain, like, seven different stories that are told. But one of the stories that is told is this. Some went down to the seas in ships, beginning of verse 23. They were doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. Sound familiar? And the waves of the sea were hushed. Sound familiar? Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. You see, Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. One one. A uh, commentary just put it like this. There are mothers who dry tears, repairmen who fix machines, surgeons who remove diseased tissues, counselors who solve family problems, but it takes a deity to actually change the weather and to change it instantly. This was the perfect storm, but this is the perfect master and commander who stills the storm. This is what Jesus does. There's a story that's told about John and Charles Wesley, and this is where Wesley wrote his famous hymn, which we'll get to in a second, but this was in 1736. John and Charles are coming to Georgia, uh, coming overseas from England to Georgia, the American colonies, and they hit such a frightening storm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean that Charles didn't pray for deliverance, but for the faith to trust in God and encourage these other passengers on board because he thought it was over. The storm was calm, the people spared, and many gave their lives to Christ. And Charles wrote this hymn, and it went like this, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly while the near waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven, guide, O receive my soul at last." You see, these disciples were crying out, where does my help come from? And the answer is, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and he stills the storm. And what it does is it leaves this lingering question, who then is this? Mark doesn't answer the question. You see, it's meant to be closed at the end of the book when the centurion finally says, surely this is the Son of God. This was the Son of God. The question isn't answered. It's left hanging over us. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? If the wind and the sea obey Him, what should we do? The fear of God is the soul of godliness, as John Murray put it so succinctly. And as John Calvin put it, all wickedness flows from a disregard of God. Since the fear of God is the bridle by which our wickedness is held in check. What do we need more than anything? We need something beyond gratitude. We need something beyond gratitude this morning. Just not more than just thank you, Lord, but utter astonishment that we who deserved hell have been given heaven. We who deserve nothing have been given everything. Our God has come down. And he has loved us in our plight because he cared that we were perishing. He cared so much that he drained his life's blood on a cross to save us from our sins. So come to this table. Come with gratitude. Come with astonishment and awe of our God. Let's pray. Father, meet us now, we pray. Minister your grace to us at this table of grace. For we ask in your name. Amen.